0: Happy Monday, listeners of Liberty, and before we get into today's interview with the great Monica Perez, I want to tell you about an awesome concept, an awesome program called Health Excellence Plus. This is one of our first sponsors, and they are an incredible free market alternative to our standard corporatized government manipulated government regulated health insurance and if you are just sick of dealing with health insurance with high deductibles with the Obamacare mandates you have to check out Health Excellence Plus I recently did an interview with a co-founder Jeff Cantor I will post that over at lionsofliberty.com slash health where he really digs into the specifics of this program a lot of you have had questions about it a lot of you are in an open enrollment period uh, with your work or what have you and have some decisions to make, so I implore you to check out Health Excellence Plus. They do not have an open enrollment period, by the way, so you can sign up with them all year long. But I know for many of you, you are in a situation uh, based on the government and corporatized rules that you have to choose their healthcare services within this small window. So while you're weighing your options, you must check out Health Excellence Plus. You will be shocked at how much money you can likely save depending on your situation, of course. So you can find that all at lionsofliberty.com slash health. I will also post the link in today's show notes, which you can find over at Lionsofliberty.com slash 426. Welcome to the Lions of Liberty Podcast. Here's your host, your guide, your shining beacon of liberty, Mark Clare. My guest today is the host of the Monica Perez Show, which airs on WSB based out of Atlanta. She is also the co-host of the Propaganda Report, which you can find in podcast form. I'm very, very pleased to welcome for the very first time, Miss Monica Perez. Monica, are you ready to roar?
1: As a libertarian and
0: a Leo, I was born to roar. Oh, well, we are just a match made in heaven here. I am a Leo as well, so the, the lion is uh, within me in many, many ways, both... Uh, Astrologically, I guess you might say, as well as uh, I don't know if you know the full impetus. We went to Penn State, the, the founders of the show, so we have the Nittany Lion. There's just a lot of a lot of lion things, a lot of roaring going on. So I'm glad you're here to roar. I get
1: it. I dig the theme. Awesome, awesome.
0: And uh, Monica, you associate yourself with anarcho capitalism, with Austrian economics, uh, all these crazy things, and yet somehow they let you on the radio. And so we'll we'll dive into all that in a little bit. But first, I want to get to know you a little bit better. So let's just start off finding out a little bit about what makes Monica Perez roar. How did you get into all this wacko libertarian stuff?
1: Well, I was basically raised by a a libertarian. My father kind of, I think he would consider himself a traditional conservative or a classical liberal, but his uncle was a Franciscan priest, really intellectual guy, very, had a lot of integrity, and he used to try to kind of set, set me straight when I came out with the typical propaganda that you'd hear in school. And I said something about the depression and he said, read the great depression by Murray Rothbard. Wow. <laughs> so I was, I think I was looking for it. I think I was Googling for it. And I stumbled upon an interview be- with, uh, of Hans Herman Hoppe by Lou Rockwell called democracy, the God that failed. And I, I didn't know who those guys were. And I thought I was just thinking that, <laughs> you know, I was just thinking the American experiment did not work. Like the, idea of a self-limiting government is a utopian fantasy and I listened to it I was like blown away by the interview I got the book and it opened with I think it opened with it's been a while since I read it that the real turning point which most people think was the, I think most people kind of think was the Civil War was World War One, which w- I had also thought that I was like that was it that was the point of no return. And I just then after that, I read that book and I, I think I probably at least bought, if not read, basically everything in the footnotes. And I just never I was happy because I had been kind of depressed that the the only hope for a just government had failed. And then when my mind was open to the idea of a self ordering world, a government without a without that uh, monopoly, I just, I had hope again. I was like, oh, so the unnatural thing, you know, the mistake is the coercion and that, like it's like knock brings out and our enemy, the state, where it's like government is not the same as the state.
0: That's really interesting. That you sort of seems like you sort of were already having these ideas on your own before you were tossed. I, I would say way into the deep end. Yeah, of, yeah, no, I know. Into Rothbard and Hoppe right away. That's <laughs> right. That's usually like step nine or ten <laughs> yes. on the, the libertarian progression. You're like,
1: God, oh, now you've gone too far. People no, like, that can't
0: I start with Gary Johnson or something easy? Yeah, please?
1: but like, Hoppe says that uh, in that book. I think it says it appeals to people like extreme radicalism helps people, uh, understand like another viewpoint.
0: Yeah, that's a really good point. And I, I think that you know a lot of libertarians are often get engaged in this conversation about like how radical can we be? Like I, A lot of people will say, I have these beliefs, but we live in the current society. So when I message to people, I have to adapt my beliefs and sort of meet them where they are, which is something I say too. I, I think there is truth to that. But I think that there's a way you can do that while still bring it being incredibly radical. Uh, because if, if, if you're not sort of waving the flag at what you want the ultimate uh, version of society to be or what your exact principles are, then they're going to be pointing in not even the exact correct direction of, of where you want to point them. They're going to just be pointing way shorter down the road and they might not even get to their first stop, let alone, you know, stop 45 at Hapa or wherever, wherever else you want to send them. Well,
1: one thing that makes people feel better, and then I realized later after I used this example a few times that I'm, that I actually kind of, was suggesting a dialectic, which the dialect dialectic. I'll tell you what I mean. So I was saying, I thought I I thought it was like Aristotle, or somebody said, aim for the opposite of what you are, and hopefully you'll end up somewhere in the middle. Like if you have a real problem, so we have this problem, I think, with tyranny. So if you aim for uh, a, a true anarcho-capitalist society, I would accept a middle ground, which would be like the American experiment, if it were to work, it would be somewhere between there. I So, but I'm going to reset people's minds. I will say to them, I'm going to reset you by pointing to the opposite extreme and you can meet me somewhere between, but that is, you know, I, I almost wonder if that's right because that is, that wasn't that Marx's idea of like the thesis, the antithesis, and then you get to a synthesis. So it's, I don't know if, if, it's an okay idea. It's just been used as a weapon, or what? Like, I have to re, you know, I have to think about if that's really what I want to own.
0: Right, That's why I, you know, I really get bothered when I hear the uh, the criticism of, you know, you can't just wish for this whole libertarian utopia because it's never going to happen. And uh, maybe it will, quote, never happen in the perfect sense, because but I, I always recognize that, yeah, this world is never perfect. No one's ever going to 100% agree with my morals, my philosophy, and there's always going to be that, that tension and that conflict. But if we want to get closer to that if we want to get closer to a more just society – I'm going to aim my target all the way at fully just society. Of course, knowing I'm probably not going to get there, but if I I think if I only aim at say the American experiment, or I only aim at minarchy, then we're going to get somewhere in between those things. So, you know, yeah,
1: I think that what happens is as soon as I don't, I personally do not compromise. I'm not saying that I'm like saying that I'm an anarcho-capitalist. I'm really not. And whatever I'm not, I'm not, I actually think that's the only just way and that anything else will be inevitably corrupted. But I, I think that if if you start with the position that we can find a compromise, you're you're you've already lost because you're then looking for a practical solution to stuff, which is why like the radio show is kind of hard for me, like where I should say the challenge is in dealing with policy. People are like, Well, what policy do you want? And I'm saying I don't I don't want to make a policy that helps this messed up system work better like i don't want to quibble about the policy like i you know what do you think is the fair tax system well the fair tax system would be you pay for what you get which would be a wealth tax or poll tax in which case you could just have a private security firm <laughs> and insurance company you know like i can't give you a policy that works within this you know, the only thing that i kind of I can't give up on is the bill of rights. Like I won't say like uh, the plea bargains. I really think there's a terrible problem with this. It's like 98% of all uh, issues are resolved with a plea bargain. And yes, a libertarian should say, well, you have the right to give up your rights. I'm like, you know, I'm not sure when you live in this system, those protections that whoever cut this deal Cut for us. I think we might have to just take those protections and defend them.
0: Sure. We, we have our whole show Felony Friday and John has done so many interviews with felons and people who have been through the, uh, the criminal justice system on this issue. And the idea of a plea bargain being some sort of like justice at all really in, in any situation under our current system is, is absolutely absurd because basically what they do is they, they take these huge charges they they toss every charge on you possible including like resisting arrest almost everyone gets that you know they, they just add
1: all these charges which should on. be neutralized if you didn't have an underlying crime of right, course you should exactly. resist arrest well, yeah, like, it's, it's actually mind-blowing that, that there are
0: people that have been only arrested for resisting arrest <laughs> so how is that if what was the original thing you're resisting then and if that's yeah not i mean, there, then the arrest wasn't shouldn't have even been happening
1: that's the essence of what i've actually posited as the only actual right which is the right to self-defense right, that's it yeah. that's your only right so it's like how can you and, you know but that's another thing like if i were to to compromise on libertarianism at all it wouldn't be for like child services or the roads it would be the concept that rights are alienable, like an extreme libertarian position would be, you definitely, you know, and and I do understand people have the right to sign a contract for indentured servitude or um, take their own lives. Sadly, you really, I don't know if you can violently impose yourself between, you know, a person's will and their body like that. Right. But under this unjust system, I feel like there should be, I, I, you know, should is a hard word, but I think, you know, my position is though that some of the rights need to be inalienable as defined within. If you have to be under the yoke of the government, you should have these because they coerce you.
0: Sure, they threaten if you're, if, you if you're facing, uh, you know, sixteen counts of life in prison because you had some kind of drug, and they added conspiracy charges and all sorts of other things you can't really look at the plea bargain as like some kind of fair compromise because they're threat. They're sitting there threatening you with all this. Jail right, time, and you, and you to have to w- legally along the way, by the way, which they right, totally do.
1: And you're not allowed to do it to them. And you're, and you have no recourse at all. So that my favorite documentary I cite often is that AKA Tommy Chong, where he went to jail for something they didn't even accuse him of doing they threatened his wife and son after entrapping them with something like 99 years in prison. And they're like, but you can go to jail for a year and we get to parade you in the town square for, for it actually said in one of the papers that the court papers that he mocked law enforcement and film. So, so what what? <laughs> could he do? Like, yeah, I know. But what could he do but take that plea bargain? Otherwise, see his wife and child go to jail for 99 years. Okay, I mean, can you
0: dig into that case a little more? I mean, I'm vaguely familiar with it, but I'm not, I'm not aware of Chung, the details that you're talking about. It was
1: a documentary called AKA Tommy Chong. And his son made legally, I think in California, artistic glass, like mouth blown glass bongs. Right. And you were not allowed to send them across lines. So somebody called and asked him to make bongs and send them across lines. And he said, I can't do that. I won't do it. I'm not doing it. So then the same guy or a different guy called and said, I need, I need like 80 bongs. And this was like a year's worth of bongs for this guy. So he set to work and he makes all the bongs and I think he took half the money. or whatever. I don't know why, but like he made the bongs and they were supposed to come get them. And the guy calls and says, I can't come. You just have to send them to me. I just cannot come get them. You got to send them. And the kid, like he didn't want to do it. But he did it. He, but it was it was in the documentation that he resisted numerous times. Finally, they get him to send the bongs across the state lines, and they come in and they arrest the kid. And I and I don't know what the mother's relationship was, but they charged the son and the mother. And then they went to and I, I believe it was they were facing ninety nine years. Now this is entrapment, but like John Delorean actually won, if I recall correctly, won on being entrapped and got off. And I, I think they were probably after him because he was competing with Big Auto, but he got off on that. But nowadays, I don't... I mean, when... Even if you have a 1% or a 10% chance of being convicted, but the sentence is 100 years, you're you 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 can't. You're not going to risk that. So they gave Tommy Chong the offer to serve... To accept a plea bargain, and they would jo- drop the charges. I mean, to me, that doesn't even make sense because he didn't even... He wasn't even accused of the crime.
0: That makes no sense at all.
1: And then he went to jail for a year and he said the, the documentary like has the twist in it like this was under the Bush era. But that's a major problem is like to think that, you know, red or blue is not in on it equally.
0: Yeah, that's sad when even, you know, uh, something like that, which is trying to point out a true injustice, is going to spin it and say, well, this is just because the Bush administration was bad about this. And it, does, it totally takes away the idea. Negates of, you know, the whole it, thing. It's this entire system that's the problem. Because then that's you're it. like, oh, so just vote
1: Obama. Thanks. So right. And then great. Tommy Jung
0: will never go to jail again <laughs> and everything's going to be great. Right. Someone else
1: is going to, Bill Cosby is going to go to jail.
0: Hold your horses, kitty cats. I have to jump in here for one second and tell you about another great libertarian podcast. And this one is not your typical podcast. This one doesn't really focus so much on the ideas of liberty, but on music. And who doesn't love music in some form or another? I guess some people don't, but who really wants to know those people anyway? Let's be honest. Anyway, the show is aptly titled Sounds Like Liberty. Sounds Like Liberty is hosted by Liberty's favorite nerdy husband, Nick Picone, and his wife, Lizzie. They speak to guests every single week to find out who has the best music taste here in Ancapistan and uh, the Lions of Liberty have actually been on the show at least a good number of us myself uh, Brian McWilliams and Howie Snowden have all been on Sounds Like Liberty we're still waiting for the John Oderman episode but uh, we're not actually sure if John listens to music because we already know he doesn't watch movies so here's what I want you to do. I want you to go ahead and go on over to andcapmusic.com and check out Sounds Like Liberty or just search Sounds Like Liberty on your favorite podcatcher. That's all I do. I, I stick completely to the podcatchers, but Sounds Like Liberty is an excellent show and really does a great job of merging culture, music, and liberty together. I highly recommend this program. If that wasn't enough, the show is co-hosted by an African-American female ANCAP. I mean, what, what more could you ask for? And by the way, Nick did tell me to say that in the ads. <laughs> Do check out Sounds Like Liberty. Go to ancapmusic.com right now to learn more. So I want to get into your your um, your radio career a little bit. What what first interested you in, in radio? And uh, uh, like, were you fully libertarian at that point? I mean, how did, the, how did this all thing start for you?
1: Yes. What happened was I had been an investment banker and I had kids and I just wasn't working and I wanted to kind of get back into it. But what I did was really like a fresh out of Graduate school kind of thing. I wasn't going to go back there, but I thought I could maybe be like hedge fund manager, something where they didn't, it was like for people a little more maturity. And I decided to take these tests, the chartered financial analyst test. It's like three years of testing with their three tests and they're super intensive. Like your brain, a lot of people fail them. Like you just have to think all the time. And that's when I stumbled upon HAPA and like it fell into the super, super fertile ground. And I just like had all these epiphanies of like, oh my gosh, like, like the Republicans, the Democrats, like nobody ever really understands the true nature of their own party. And they just keep us looking against each other and all this. So during this time of like intense brain activity, I went to a wedding and the gal sitting next to me was a radio producer on WSB, and I just, like, could not stop talking. My mind was on fire, and, I, and she was, because she was on radio, I was talking about the Hapa stuff and anarcho-capitalism and the true nature of the, bi, the two-party system, the two-party psyop. And she, first of all, purely on the basis of the fact that I could talk incessantly without anyone making any kind of response, and the fact that these ideas were completely new to her, She immediately introduced me to the program director. And like, the more radical I sounded, I was just like, No, you don't understand. Like, I actually, you know, there was a time when not believing in God was unthought of. Like, Mm -hmm. I'm there, but with government. Like, you can't even get your mind around what I'm thinking here. And they were just like, That's brilliant. Bring that. And I was like, No, I'm dead serious. And they're just like, that makes it even better. This is a great character you're playing. We exactly. Love <laughs> no, I mean I think the more I, the more passionate I was about it, the more they just thought this is genius. And I thought I can't I can't even like advocate voting at this point. How are you going to put me on a like a political a show where like I, I have the same time slot as Rush? You know, like Rush is during the week and I'm on the weekends. Like people are getting in their cars and like I'm popping up. So I, that I did. Uh, I did have to think about that a little bit. Like how am I going to communicate with these people who haven't heard this, aren't coming from that place. And that's when I, I realized that, that like the bill of rights, they always say it's like God given and not government given, Mm -hmm. but these are rights. Like we can, we can agree on that. We can agree on that. And if that piece of paper makes you able to stand with me, then let's talk about that piece of paper. And I don't care about just wars. or right? You know, you don't need to believe, agree with me about non-intervention, but let's just look at what your values are, what our protections are, and we need to defend those. Whatever argument they're telling you, terrorism, whatever, the Fourth Amendment, let's defend it together.
0: It sounds like such an unexpected path, at least in our modern context, for someone to unabashedly put their Anti-government beliefs out there, their their thoughts about being against the entire system that everybody, almost everybody, anyway, currently accepts, and having and just basically slotting right in and then taking right off and having your own show. Like I'm curious, along that pathway, I'm sure you know maybe those original people you talked to were excited about it, but I got to imagine there's an executive here and there once in a while that hears something you say that says, "What are we really putting this this lady on the air?" So well, I'm still on the the weekends. (laughs) True. (laughs) Have you had any resistance along the way? To like anything specific that you've said, or, or are they are they really just really great and let you just kind of do your thing?
1: They they are really great. I'm always amazed that they. Well, what what that program director who's still there said uh, from the beginning, he would say many times like you're you're funny, you're fun, you're different, blah blah blah. He said, but the reason that you were on the air, like everything that I love about you, you would not be on the air if you weren't saying something different. Right. You're just, and I don't understand why. Everybody else isn 't saying different things, so I feel like everybody 's reading the headlines from the wall street journal'm like what, how, why did they get why why is that what I have to bring why can 't I do what they 're doing and still be cute and funny like i don 't understand so I have to put myself out there, and people the callers challenge me constantly and it get and, and it it really strains my brain you know it like keeps me in exercise, and people enjoy that, so they are getting their voice like they are the, that the more mainstream listener gets their voice, but as far as the People, I mean, even even my boss's boss, they like it. They like it. And I just, I mean, there may be somewhere up there where they're like, okay, you know, in the evil back room of where all the media giants sit together, they're saying like, we have our token free thinker over here. Like just keep her in that. Don't let her go too
0: far. (laughs) We'll take her out.
1: (laughs) Exactly. We can do the computer programs. Like how much, how many hours are allowed to give her before she actually gets, you know, movement going. But they really, they enjoy it. They, they tell me, I always have to make sure I can distinguish between fact and opinion. Uh I personally don't like to be super combative. I don't like to offend people. I really just want to exchange ideas and I mean it seems to it seems to work, you know. I don't know. I hope so. I like I I I don't I never get they never ever tell me what not to say.
0: Well, that's that's awesome. I mean, it's- speaking of kind of differentiating between fact and opinion, you definitely get into a lot of areas besides just your, your beliefs. Uh, philosophically, you get into a lot of subjects, uh, controversies, some things that people might even deem conspiracy <laughs> theories, but you're totally <laughs> unafraid to tackle any issue. And I- I'm kind of curious how you sort of ride that line of, you know, obviously, if you're talking about something that might seem as a conspiracy, you're not necessarily saying, I 100% believe this thing, but you're also open-minded enough to say, look, I'm going to look at this angle of it and we're going to explore it. We're not Going to be afraid to explore something that goes against the mainstream. So, so what's your approach to an issue where, say, you have a little a gut instinct about something, or you know, you feel off about it, and it entirely goes against the mainstream narrative? How do you address something like that, where maybe you don't have all the facts that can say the mainstream narrative is wrong yet, but you have some, and you have your your thoughts? So, how do you, how do you kind of dive into things like that?
1: Well, the best way to explain that is to give the example of the first time that it happened to me, and I had this kind of epiphany of truth and it was I had sometimes I fill in for people during the week which is a much bigger audience and it's a lot of pressure so when you have for every you get like one call or for every thousand people or something like that so when you have many tens of thousands of people listening you're going to get a lot of calls and all those people are going to know all the facts right that's how you think about it like the cumulative you know it's like the wiki idea or the hayek idea of Mm -hmm. like Everybody together has the information. So when they, so when I would do a big show like that, I was really always like, uh, I would have to read everything. I'd have to know that I knew all the facts because I take calls and people are going to call and say, "Well, you don't know this," blah blah. blah. So that I was doing a show the night of the Boston Marathon bombing or one of those like right around there, and I was like, I don't know if I know all the facts of the Boston Marathon bombing. So I was reading, 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 reading. And the facts, even in the same newspaper, the Boston Globe, were changing without retractions. And I was like, but that can't be right because this guy was that. And that guy works for the CIA. And how can that be true? So then all of a sudden I was like, and then all these reports were that uh, the Tsarnaevs there was a lot of audio and video that they were surrendering and then they ended up dead. And like there a lot of really messed up things. So my producer was like, you can't go on the air with that stuff. And I said, well, I'm not going on the air with anything else because this is what I think happened. And we really had a, a problem. And it's because she loved me. Like it wasn't because she, she was controlling me. So we
0: didn't want to get you you know booted from yeah, the station. like
1: We became friends and she was like, people will be so mean to you. And I was like, I don't, I'm just going to tell them. I don't care. So I wasn't going to go on and she called the boss, the program director, and he got on the phone with me and he said, what's the problem? And I said, I just, I think that this story is not being reported correctly. I think it's something else is going on here. And he said, well, do you have a good reason to think that? And I said, yeah, I've got all these facts and I, I just know the official narrative isn't true and I can give you some facts that make me, that is why I know that. And he said, well, then if you can defend it, do it, just make it clear Where are you coming from? And I did that, and that's always kind of been my standard. I just, I have to have a good reason. And I always said this for the radio. I'm never going to, like, gratuitously have fights with people. I'm not going to be mean to callers, and I'm never going to say anything that I don't think is true. And that's how I do it, and and I can defend it. And people call, and I defend it. And if they give me new information, I love that. And I want to be wrong. You think I want to believe that? I don't want to believe that. I want to believe that my our massive taxes are being used in the service of truth justice and liberty you know that's what i want you know (laughs) so tell me i'm wrong i hope i'll go down i will be the sacrificial lamb of uh the truth is that our government is run by justice and you know what they say like that would be great i'm happy to be the fool
0: that's the funny thing about whenever you talk about some kind of conspiracy or something that goes against the official narrative and it's like I get this idea that people think I want the thing I'm saying to be true or, or this you know that even if it's just something like oh they there was a conspiracy to launch the Iraq war and it wasn't for just reasons it's like well you just want that to be true like no I don't I want it to be the opposite it's way scarier if it's true that we're manipulated and lied to all the time I would love to think that there's just a series of unfortunate mistakes that the government keeps continuously making over and over and over and over and over because maybe we can fix that if that's all it is uh but it doesn't really seem that way
1: (laughs) and i and i want I, i i want to start over i want to like look at every subject afresh and just say this is what it is you know and and i i accept your narrative i don't even want to look for other stuff but it always you i have come to conclude that the mainstream media the real big stuff It's just it's sometimes truth is in it, but it, it doesn't matter. And it's always for a purpose. And it, and I actually get the story wrong when I take it at face value, more often than not.
0: On the subject of not wanting to believe, you know, the, the worst about the government or the worst about the situations, I- I'm curious of all the stories you've covered, of all the conspiracies that you might say that you've dove into, what of those do you, uh, is there one that stands out at least that you most believe to be 100% true? something that still goes against the official narrative. Hmm. I know I didn't prepare you for that. one. No,
1: you didn't. Uh, <laughs> that's what
0: makes it fun.
1: Gosh, what do I think?
0: Why doesn't that have to be the number? Well, one? Well, I mean, the out.
1: the one that's just amazing to me that they still even pretend isn't true is JFK. Oh uh, yeah. You know that, and that to me is the watershed moment. Uh, like World War One was the beginning of the end, but JFK was the watershed moment of the of the American uh, of the the. The country, you know, the American nation.
0: That's so much like the the kiddie pool of conspiracy theories yeah. to me now. That just because I, I mean, even as a teenager, I watched Oliver Stone's movie, and that got me thinking, like, wait, what's going on here? And that movie's not entirely accurate, but there, you know, there's a lot of different pathways that it can send you down. Uh, to the point that I, I accepted it so long as obviously it wasn't just Lee Harvey Oswald just going off and killing this guy. But once in a while, I still find people that actually just think that's what happened, and I'm like, wait, are you? Really? Well, the newspapers <laughs> like say it. I can't even wrap my head around anybody thinking that that's that, that's the story at this point.
1: This is how you have to think about it: is that if that is true, there was a coup from the inside of this country, and and that we are absolute, that the validity, this idea that we are still governing ourselves, is uh, it's ludicrous. And if you look at also Watergate, Nixon. The ticket that won on Nixon, it was Nixon and Spiro Agnew, and they won. And then, not to, you know, a couple of months later, it was Gerald Ford and Nelson Rockefeller. You no, know, another coup. It just was a coup. So these are Even coups. Watergate,
0: you, you see as a coup as well, right?
1: Absolutely. Yeah, there's yeah. no question. I mean, they two on elected, it's the Spiro Agnew thing. He wasn't sure. caught up in Watergate. He wasn't. He was the vice president under Nixon who resigned, not because of Watergate
0: in every situation there's you know some other vice president lurking in the background like lyndon johnson lurking there behind yeah. jfk and nelson rockefeller like, right.
1: <laughs> who wants that
0: <laughs> how more obvious can you get and i don't think a lot of people realize um i didn't realize this until a couple years ago when i did even more of a deep dive on it that gerald ford was a part of that commission that that kind of that um kind of shuffled all the jfk stuff away oh it was just lee harvey oswald everything's fine and then a couple years later he's the one that comes in and replaces uh, nixon yeah it's crazy
1: he and our Inspector came up with the magic yeah, bullet too. theory. yes yeah, so they right. came up with that thing that is the like clearly this did not happen that way. It just didn't, and and somehow so, the
0: story that that this bullet defied physics is the accepted narrative. Like, yes, how, how is that even? That, the thing and that's if you
1: tell people it's not true, they just won't accept it. So, like with 9-11 if you bring up facts, they just won't accept it. Like that third building. It's like, you look at it. She just said that building fell down. And the guy she's talking to said, no, wait. There it goes. (laughs) You know, like, do you you know that one that, what's her face? Like the BBC reporter, Jane Smiley. She's in front of building seven.
0: when She's reading the news before it happens. Yes, she's
1: reading the news before it happens. I'm like, okay, you can tell me. And that one thing that is about that building, that building seven is that if it were, I have said this to people like that. How did that building fall down? Like, well, it was scooped out because of all the debris from the two. And I'm like, okay, then why did it tip over? How could it possibly have fallen? And they're just like, I don't know how that stuff works.
0: Like, yes, you do. Every time I've read an explanation of that, like, you know, I don't pretend to be a physicist. There's a lot of people that you know <laughs> right. make claims about bombs took down those first two towers or there's people that say, no, 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 the flames and the gasoline can all do that. And the fact is, I, I don't know who to side with on this stuff. But when it comes to that third building to building seven and I look at that footage happening, right. there's there's very little way for me to wrap my head around that being anything other than. Uh, a demolition i mean that's what it looks like
1: otherwise it would have tipped over their actual that doesn't
0: mean that's what it is but it <laughs> means it's what it looks like and if someone could come up with an explanation I'm, I'm willing to listen
1: i don't actually get into details like that i'm never proving you're never proving to anyone anything they don't want to believe so right. when i mean this but they will always say two things i don't know how that stuff works Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you know what, you can't, this is why this, I always point to psychology and sociology as being the culprits here. They have systematically convinced us that we cannot believe the evidence of our eyes and our own reason, because we have these weird psychological hangups that disconnect us from
0: evidence. You know, and we think, well, I'm not an expert, so I just have to talk yeah. to the experts who always <laughs> well, seem to work for the government. We understand gravity.
1: You know what I mean? Like just, it's <laughs> right. just gravity. It would have tipped over. There's no way around it. <laughs> So they think that or that people would have told, would have ratted.
0: No, but people do rat. That's the biggest objection I think I often get to any conspiracy I talk about, whether it's uh, JFK or the moon landing or any of them are always just like, well, too many people would have to know and somebody would say something. So what's your, what's your response to that general objection? Well, people
1: do say stuff, and you don't listen to them unless <laughs> right. they're on the mainstream media. I'm telling you. I'm actually telling you to go look at the evidence. And then they
0: then they wind up dead. Some of them end up really winding up do. dead.
1: <laughs> yes, the Boston Marathon bombing one had some of that. But I'm just saying, like, don't even believe people. Just, like, I will tell you convincing evidence. I'll tell you how I got convinced. I got convinced. I was. When I started my radio show, I didn't believe any of this stuff at all. Mm-hmm. But I had to do my homework because I had to take calls on different subjects. And then once the Boston Marathon bombing thing happened, I was like, oh my gosh, I have to like really revisit. Because when I saw those guys saying, if anyone has seen these two terrorists, here's some video of terrorist one and terrorist two. I was like, those guys were on your watch list. You got a letter from the Russian government uh, like a year ago about them they were at your cia training thing in Chechnya, and they live one mile from there You don't know their names. I just googled it and found their names. Like what are you talking about? so they they just when I saw them The government like just lying about that stuff then I was like, oh like the the thing that made the scales fall from my eyes is like I just what i had always said to myself is I just don't believe they would Kill Americans for their purposes Like I just don't believe it And then I saw that they would or I thought that They did I don't even know if they did you know I don't know but then I thought okay They would and then once so That is really I think for me That was the sticking point I just Couldn't believe it And now I realize there's like two possible Three possible explanations one Is they're just totally self-interested and don't care At all Mm -hmm. another Is that There's like a cult forces at work like there's
0: some weird
1: you know i just i don't get into that stuff at all like i don't that to me i just i can't I'm sometimes it seems
0: like the only explanation though it does <laughs> it know? does like nothing else makes sense so maybe there's like interdimensional evil forces. no
1: yeah it know. could be <laughs> and like i think that people are like well they're interdimensional beings and i'm like you know what it comes to think of it jesus i think and i'm totally not Blasphemy! Jesus is an interdimensional being, right? Like the angels by, were by
0: any by any definition. Yeah, if you accept that story,
1: inter yeah, inter yeah, angels were interdimensional. So I'm just saying, like I'm not even, I don't really do not. I I am struggling to understand the true nature of power on Earth. I do not really fully. I don't think we can grasp the true nature of power in the universe.
0: No, we can't.
1: but <laughs> so it could be the occult thing. You know, I don't know, or maybe even where it. They don't actually have occult beliefs, but they. And this, I think, is kind of an evidence where you can have secret societies and stuff where they have rituals that they don't even have to believe. Calls, you know, has an interdimensional message that it had. What it actually does is it creates bonds and you know control of other people and all that. It could be like at that level. Which um, are you
0: talking like uh, Bohemian Groves? Stu- yeah, stuff? Yeah, yeah, uh, or cremation you know, of care weirdness.
1: Yes. Well, I don't know that one, but. But like well, cre- cremation
0: I, of care is the is what there is the cer- not that I ever look into this stuff, but <laughs> it's the ceremony that uh, that supposedly they were doing at the Bohemian Grove in that famous video that Alex Jones supposedly that gave Alex in, like Jones his
1: bones. Yeah.
0: And they're supposedly sacrificing a fake. Child or something, right. which is just a, a recreation. Yes, but then there's also some, some. Some say that's just the the ceremony one, and then they actually do a real one. Well, later on. I, did, I don't know. I don't get to go to these things. No, so I did I see
1: a very convincing interview with a woman who said when she was nine years old she went to one of these like things where she and her sister uh, and other children were. I don't know if it's a human hunting party or whatever, but like, I was very convinced that this woman had a an experience like that with uh, elite people and had ritual significance. I didn't really go beyond that. I don't really go beyond that, but like skull and bones. I mean, they definitely have rituals and they have a pact. I mean, I think they admit that. So
0: and then randomly two of them ran for president. And they got together. I don't
1: know. I mean, yeah. And it just, works. Just happens, See, that's the thing. This stuff does work. It's, it's, um, it's like doubling your odds. Like if you double the rice on every square of the chessboard at the end, you own the world. But the third,
0: even if it's as, even if it's as simple as just powerful people connecting and associating and, you know, making backroom deals, it could just be as simple as that, or it could be, you know, Well, to
1: always prefer the skull and bones pact is to always prefer a bonesman. If given two people who want a job, and they can both do the job equally well, well, supposedly give it to the bonesman. And that in itself will get everybody, you know, like if you're coming from Yale, right. you could basically populate the entire upper echelon. It's of kind of like very, way.
0: very low scale or smaller scale, like nationalism. But instead of just like, I want Americans to get these jobs or I want white people to get these jobs. It's no, I just want these, uh, these bonesmen to get these powerful positions because they're my brothers.
1: Right. And and some have there said that like, that was the problem with Christianity is that they actually didn't do in group. like Christ's message was don't, like the Good Samaritan thing was, don't use in-group out-group distinctions. Mm-hmm. Don't have a double standard, and that that makes uh, Christians have a terrible disadvantage. But the other, the last point I want to make about like the possibilities, mm-hmm. the third possibility would be that they justify loss of innocent, unwilling human life, like say in the Twin Towers, the same way that they can justify a draft. So they're taking unwilling Americans and throwing them into a war and killing them against their will for the good of the country. I don't believe that, but they probably tell themselves that.
0: That's a really good, not good, but it's a really interesting interesting way to look at that because nobody, I guess most people don't make the connection that there still is a draft because it's not actively being used, but it's still there. You're still required to register it for it under uh, felony penalty of law. I believe, I believe you can actually go to jail if you don't register for the draft. Um, So that's already the threat of violence right there. But um, you know, it's it's a really good point. People that would say, well, they would never sacrifice Americans for you know a terrorist attack to for some agenda or something like, well, they they do it all the time. It's already part of the law they did it in vietnam they sent a bunch of people to their deaths certainly knowing a bunch of people were going to die for some other motive and that they did not even up. right it's not even remotely unprecedented of a a thing we're just taking it to one more level and saying well maybe they actually do some of the that violence here too
1: yeah and they would have thrown them into cannon fodder if you could count on a soldier who was not voluntary they put them in jail to make the other soldiers be cooperative but it was totally involuntary and they could use the same justification to make themselves sleep at night. And then the, a lot of the people who do this, like they're hailed as heroes. It just makes my you know, skin crawl.
0: Monica, one thing I got to ask you about is something that you have in your Twitter bio. It says <laughs> Ron Paul, Ron Paul scares you. I scare Ron <laughs> Paul. Monica, why do you scare Ron Paul?
1: <laughs> well, I don't think I do anymore, but, but people, because I would say, I don't believe even in minarchism. I don't even believe that. Like I was raised, my father taught me that the government has three legitimate purposes: national defense, the police,
0: and the courts. And that is the basic Ron Paul view. I mean, that's yeah, what he that's said a minarchist.
1: Times. But but I, I I interviewed him once. It was like the greatest day of my life. Oh, yeah,
0: I'm um, interviewing Ron Paul. I was like, I'm just gonna circle this day on the calendar and only point to that day forever. I forever. just
1: yeah, I was so happy, and I was widely. Cited as being the first. Uh, I remember after I did it, I told my husband that he referred to the deep state, and that was, and my husband said he actually said deep state. This was way before Hannity latched onto that.
0: And w- yeah, way before it was a Trumpian term.
1: Yes, it, yes, it was probably before. Trump yeah, was Trump. Leader. Now
0: it's just used to describe Trump's enemies within the government. Oh, Obama but I, holdovers. That is, <laughs> right. But that, but that is not really describing the deep state as, as we would. Imagine.
1: That's why I say like Obama holdovers did not right. kill JFK. Like, just keep right, that yeah. in mind. <laughs> but he said that. But so so talking to him then I felt like I'm definitely not scaring him. But I but people would. <laughs> this was a time when I wrote that where I think it was like around 2012, maybe 2011, so that was his big run was 2012, and people would say the the people on the right would say his foreign policy is dangerous, and I, I, so he scared them with his peace talk. <laughs> you know, he scared them with his golden rule stuff. <laughs> they, That's horrifying.
0: I know they were just like, you "Don't oh. want to go around
1: attacking people. <laughs> right. What are we going to do? How can we stay we safe survive? if we don't make enemies?" Like, well. Right. So uh, that was – I was trying to tell people, like, you stop – you can't even handle that. Just keep moving. I'm kind of curious on on that front.
0: What are issues that – are there certain issues that you have that uh, frustrate you when discussing them with other libertarians because – Frankly, I get frustrated often because a lot of people, I point to Ron Paul as my inspiration for becoming a libertarian, but I disagree with Ron Paul on many things. I'm not a minarchist. uh, And, um, you know, he doesn't, and he, like you said, he's said many times, you know, the legitimate purposes of government are X, Y, and Z. And uh, trust me, if I would take Ron Paul's world over (laughs) anything else we've been realistically ever offered by a politician in a heartbeat, but I I do run into problems where, uh, you know, sometimes I'll try to describe an issue and my my views on it, maybe just say immigration, for example. It's one that's been contentious lately the
1: one i was thinking i mean that's well, a go. terrible that's one a <laughs> because it's a terrible it's a terrible experience because i have people have been vicious on twitter with me and i i'm not even taking a i, I don't even take policy stands because we don't live in a free society so i right. i'm not going to tell you uh given that 95% of what i'm saying is not free give me how you would run the last 5% i'm like well i do i really want to fiddle around with variable interacting variables like that. I don't want
0: to run the last 5% better. I want to end the first 95. And
1: and it doesn't, you it's the whole bureaucratic apparatus is about if, if it were legitimate, if it it was being operated in good faith is about how this massive policy structure interacts with itself. It's central planning. It's central control to figure out you can't have it. You you have, it's, That's why I love the pricing mechanism. All information feeds into every price just by virtue of individual action of taking a jar of peanut butter off a shelf at a dollar and not taking it off at $2. So, So I'm not interested in how to, for policies to interact with each other. I'm not going to give you an immigration policy, but I am, I wrote an article that I thought was Really I really put my heart and soul into it. It was called the libertarian immigration conundrum and I just talked about what it's I Absolutely believe in the right to work and travel. There's no question about that what I object, I object to a few things one is uh, People don't see that the right to vote is somehow Fused with this right to work and travel and that's what makes it a political issue. Why not just right. say that because who cares? Like who? I personally don't think voting in a just society with objective foundational laws is it really important. It shouldn't be important at all. Like no vote should have the power to take away my basic rights. So I don't really care that much about a vote, and absolutely nobody emigrating to this country is doing it so they can vote in our system. They could do that on vacation. I hate when I hear that (laughs) as
0: if, as if there's a bunch of like poor people who are fleeing uh, famine and (laughs) poverty. And they're like, if only I could get to America and vote Democrat, (laughs) like what? No, that's not anybody's situation. They don't care at
1: all. So you could just say the, the same criteria for voting, it could be the criteria for being president or, you know what I mean? Just like if you're not born here, you can't vote. I don't care about that. I'm not recommending that policy. I'm just saying if you can separate the issues, you can understand them better. And then what they're actually doing then is and another thing that they do to make this immigration issue. So, so powerful is that they have, uh, so hobbled our private property rights and our right to associate freely or not associate freely, that if you are not permitted to decide who comes on your land or not, or your public property or not, then we all share, our private property all extends to that border. So I I don't discriminate. I don't prefer discrimination. I, I don't like it. And I would not go to a retail establishment that, that had policies of discriminating. I just would not do it. But I also wouldn't go in there and drag the guy off to jail because he has a policy of discriminating against brown eyed girls. You know, I just, I wouldn't do it. So I, but if he just doesn't like brown eyed girls and he gets to vote, on if all of us let brown eyed girls in or not, right.
0: that's when we have the problem.
1: Then, then I have to agree with him. So I don't want to do that. Give that guy his private property rights. Don't let voting be so important or make it a, a thing where you have to be born into it or what. I don't know. I'm just saying there's like a lot of different things that, that the immigration issue is used to, uh, enter it to diminish our liberties in this country. And in my mind, I'm an anarcho-capitalist. I'm not a fan of uh, nation states and the power and the war and the taxes, but I do recognize that we do have a piece of paper that the entire world looks at and there is something about a piece of paper with some uh, you know that people accept as legitimate. That bill of rights tells people this is the line. And as it as we allow it to deteriorate, so the whole world deteriorates. And eventually, they really look at us. If you look at foreign press, they, they refer to our rights as if everyone has those rights and they should. So when they come over and they, and if the goal is to manipulate us into those liberties going away, I, I think you, it's worth talking about.
0: Absolutely. I mean, as with any of these issues, most of the problems with immigration or what have you are directly related to the state having the welfare state, putting so much power in voting and all that stuff. But anytime we look for a solution and we want to look to the state for a solution, the state's going to be subject to that same pricing issue, that same issue where they're they're centrally organized. They're not – it's not the actual actors that are making the right decisions. It's this, this other yes. coercive of third party. So you're never going to get a good solution from the state regardless of the legitimacy of the problem.
1: Yes, and this is the thing. So I love the idea of immigration and my own heritage and everything. The way it used to work was you were in a a system that you did not prefer. You wanted to come over here to the system you preferred and you wanted to participate in. So I have grandparents. They came over. Uh, The mother, no, my great-grandmother died in childbirth and my grandmother was here with her father. He couldn't hack it. So he went back, and he left her in an orphanage. Here, he couldn't hack it, so he went back. You know, that's it. So he wanted to give her the life, but she he couldn't deal with it. So that's the way it was. He came, he could. But if you chase people away from their own countries, then give him, them this like human rights industry. There are these industries that are popping up. Human rights is one of them. Uh, that where they kind of quote, this is another problem that like people want to say libertarians want this, but I do not. They make the human rights industry so-called private. So it isn't obliged to follow the laws of transparency and all that, but it's a hundred percent funded by the government. So then they place people in large blocks with welfare and everything to the point where, or whatever assistance to the point where uh, they when they used to come over voluntarily to find a better life, to work hard and accept that system of Liberty, they would do what it took to work within that system. But when you insulate them by not, not requiring the natural circumstance where you have to uh, participate economically in the culture, when you have to participate economically in the culture, you have to be nice to people You have to speak their language and then you can succeed. But uh, anyway, so it's inorganic and it gets people over here who are fleeing something rather than pursuing liberty, which is how our immigration used to work.
0: Well, Monica, thank you so much for coming on the show. I'm glad we could dive into. uh, Really, I I, back in the day, I used to plan my interviews out and have 20 questions I was going to try to get to, and I don't really do that anymore. I just kind of show up and see where they go. So the fact that we could go through uh, 9/11, the Boston bombings, (laughs) immigration, uh, I'm very impressed with the plethora of topics that we were able to get to to today. And uh, this is what it's like listening to the Monica Perez show. You're going to get all sorts of commentary on all sorts of issues uh, from someone who's very passionate. So I really do encourage people to check out the Monica Perez show as well as the Propaganda Report. I mentioned a couple of things you're doing. I want to give you a chance before I let you go to uh, plug away on anything else you got going on, make sure everybody can find you on social media or wherever they need to find you and uh, feel free to plug away on anything else you got in the works.
1: Okay. Well, the one thing that I put my most time in and I'm excited about my co-host and I, Brad Binkley, who's my producer on the Monica Perez show, do a daily show called the drive time news blast where it's 30 minutes by the end of the day about the up to the minute news without all the propaganda. I try to take it from a libertarian perspective, truth, real justice, not social justice. And uh, I feel like there's, it's really hard to process that stuff quickly and get it out in real time. So it's, I felt like it was a, there was a need there. So you can also find that at thepropreport.com and my Twitter handle is at Monica Perez show.
0: Monica Perez, keep up the great work. And keep on roaring. (laughs) All right, kitty cats. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with the great Monica Perez. And do check out the Monica Perez show. Do check out the Propaganda Report. Uh, her and her producer Binkley are doing awesome, awesome work. I want to get him on, by the way, uh, down the road. He's a he's a very interesting guy as well. So I'll keep that on the docket. But in the meantime, we have a lot more on our docket this week, including, of course, our regular rotation of shows here at Lions of Liberty, where you do get not one but three unique programs per week. You have the flagship show here with me every Monday, doing interviews, roundtables, and that sort of thing. While Brian McWilliams hits you every Wednesday smack in the face with his weekly shot of comedy culture and liberty on electric liberty land and john odie Matt wraps things up every friday with his hard-hitting inspiring look at the broken criminal justice system on felony friday you get all these shows for the price of one and that price is free you just got to hit that subscribe button on wherever podcatcher you listen to i'm not going to discriminate listen however you like Just keep coming back. That's all we ask for. And this week, we have something extra, extra special. We also have a Democratic debate coming up. And as we do with every one of these debates, we are going to host a drunken Democratic debate recap, as we call them, immediately after the show. At least immediately after the show for our Patreon subscribers. For as little as $2 a month, you can access the live streams for all of these shows. $2. And little secret, if you sign up today... Spend that $2. You don't even have to spend it, is the truth. You don't get charged. We don't charge you guys until the first of the next month. So if you sign up now, just to get a preview. Just maybe check out the live stream of our Drunken De- Democratic Debate Recaps. They're always more fun to watch live, I think, right after they happen. Uh, well, for $2 a month, you can put it in there. Listen to it, and if you want, you could unsubscribe before the first and not pay us a dime. Now, I shouldn't be telling you this really, but I want everyone to, you know, give it a try at least. And I'm confident that you will enjoy being in the Pride so much you won't even think twice about the two, five, ten, $25.50, $100 a month that you might give us. So please do check it out, patreon.com slash Lions of Liberty. But we will be posting the Drunken Democratic Debate Recap in this public feed uh, probably on Thursday. So uh, either way, look forward to that. If you don't want to sit through these debates, well, you can just listen to us drink and talk about them. That's your option. So we do like to provide these services for you. That is why we're here at Lions of Liberty. So we have four shows for you this week, four public shows. How freaking exciting is that. And next week, we'll be picking things back up with a little Thanksgiving action. We have some, some fun and surprises for you. That's what I'll say. I'll just leave it at that. And until next time, kiddos, live long and live free.